Hey y'all, thanks for tuning in to this week's recording of Redeemer Church of Knoxville's Sunday Sermon. We're really glad to have you with us because we know that there are a million different podcasts that you could be listening to right now. So we're thankful that you've chosen to spend some of your day with us. We hope that this recording will be an encouragement to you and that God, by his spirit, will use his word to remind you of Jesus' love. If you would like to reach out to us, we would love to hear from you. To do that, please email us at office at redeemerknoxville.org. We also want to give a quick thank you shout out to Evie Andrus and Parker Green, who you hear playing our awesome intro and outro music here each week. Lastly, if you'd like to support Redeemer and her mission to Urban and University Knoxville, please visit www.redeemerknoxville.org and look for the little give button in the top right corner. Thank you so much, and here is this week's sermon. Well, if you have a Bible and you'd like to follow along with me, you can do so by turning to Joshua chapter uh, 14. You can follow along with me in your own Bible. There's a pew Bible that's near you. You might have brought a smartphone Bible that's on your phone. It's also provided for you in the bulletin. If you'd like to follow along uh, with us there, you can do that. I do want to welcome you to Redeemer this morning. It's great to have you with us. My name is Sean Slate. I'm the pastor here, and we are so glad to have you with us this morning because we know that there are a million different things that you could be doing this morning. Uh, For instance, you could be getting your costume ready for the county fair. You could be getting not only your recipe, but you could be making the chili uh, for tonight. Also, you could be at home uh, eating all the candy that you bought to hand out for tomorrow. Uh, Or you could be online looking for an Airbnb in Athens, uh, Georgia for next week. Uh, But you're not doing any of those things. You're here with us. And it's uh, great to have you with us this morning. Uh, And the reality is that there really is nothing better that you could do with your time then worship Jesus, consider his claims upon your life, and think about the kindness of his salvation uh, for us. And so I really do want to thank you for joining us this morning. Welcome to Redeemer. What is Redeemer? Well, Redeemer is a church, and what that means is that we're a community of people who are trying to learn how to love God, and we're trying to learn how to love our neighbor. And fundamentally, what we believe is that Jesus is God. He's the Messiah. And he's entered into the world to die for our sins and to reveal the love of the Father. And so every week as his people, we gather together in his name to worship him so that we might learn uh, to rest in that love that God has for us in Christ. And as we rest in his love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in community. We love to county fair together. We love to eat chili together. We love to watch soccer and football and, uh, you know, kite surfing together. Uh, But really what we love to do is gather together and read the Bible and pray together so that we can remind each other of the great love that God has for us in Jesus. And so as we rest in his love and as we remind each other of his love, we then become a people who delight to gather together in service so that together we might reflect the love of God to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors who are here in Urban and University in Knoxville, and hopefully in some way it would spill out into the entire earth, right? That's who we are. We're people who are trying to learn how to love God. We're trying to learn how to love our neighbor as we rest, as we remind, and as we reflect. And so to help us do that, we're in the middle of a series that we've entitled, Great is His Faithfulness, Reflections on the Book of Joshua. And just as we've said each week, this is a tough book. I mean, it's a book that feels really distant. It's a book that feels really hard. It's a book that's filled with failure and with conflict and war and judgment. And at many times, it just feels so culturally distant. But what I hope that you see and have seen week after week after week is that God is faithful, right? That God is faithful. And so this morning, as we consider our faithful God, I want us to consider uh, the faithful servant of God, 
right? The faithful servant of God. So with that in mind, let's look together. Joshua chapter 14. It's kind of a long passage. There's some hard words in it, so bear with me as I mispronounce them all, all right? But we'll just keep going and pretend like I didn't. Um, These are the inheritances that the people of Israel received in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the father's houses of the tribes of the people of Israel gave them to inherit. Their inheritance was by lot, just as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine and one-half tribes. For Moses had given an inheritance to the two and one-half tribes beyond the Jordan, but to the Levites he gave no inheritance among them. Uh, For the people of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, and no portion was given to the Levites in the land, but only uh, cities to dwell in with their pasture lands for their livestock and their substance. The people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses, they allotted the land. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenazite, said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses. Well, Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Uh, Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenazite to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Would you pray with me now for the teaching? Heavenly Father, uh, we are thankful uh, for this, your word, that you are a God uh, not hidden uh, nor silent, but one who delights to reveal himself. And you've done this in your word and by your Holy Spirit. And ultimately, uh, you've uh, done this uh, in the person and work of Jesus. It's our prayer now that as we look at your word and see your faithfulness, that you, by your spirit and by your kindness, would make us to be faithful uh, out of love for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I'm not sure if any of you are aware of this thing called the interwebs, but on the interwebs, there's this thing called the YouTubes. And it's, uh, the YouTubes are really wonderful uh, for funny animal videos, like baby monkeys riding backwards on pigs and chimpanzees riding on segways and kids getting kicked in the face with soccer balls. Uh, but other than sort of like funny videos, I think maybe the most powerful thing about the YouTubes are all the instructional videos that are on uh, the YouTubes. I mean, uh, I like instructions. I need instructions. I buy something and I need to put it together. And those instructions are very helpful for me because I can understand that I'm supposed to take uh, part A and uh, put it together with side L and use a flux capacitor to do that. But how that happens, like I absolutely have no idea. And so instructional videos on things like how to change headlights or how to install a ceiling fan or how to dig a hole are very helpful uh, for people people like me, because those videos, they, they, uh, not only, they, they show, right? They don't just tell. And I think that's the purpose of this passage before us. It is trying to show us faithfulness, not just tell us to be faithful. And I think this is really important for us, because if you've ever read the Bible or been around Christianity for any time at all, you've probably heard of this thing called faith. And faith in the Bible and faith in Christianity is a big deal because over and over again we read and we're told that we are saved by faith. But but what is faith? What does that mean? What does it look like to express faith in our lives? And so to understand this, maybe we turn to one of the great confessions of the church. And we look to something like the Westminster Shorter Catechism that tells us that faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone as he is freely offered to us in the gospel. We receive and rest in him alone as he is freely offered to us in the gospel. It's this beautiful definition, receiving and resting, not striving and earning, not working and doing. But then as you keep reading the Bible, there are these passages that, uh, that talk about the obedience of faith. And so the obedience of faith. So if faith is about receiving and resting, then how does obedience fit together with faith? And so to help us understand that, maybe we turn to some of the heroes of the faith and we turn to someone like Hudson Taylor who once said that faith is holding fast to a faithful God, right? Faith is holding fast to a faithful God. Another beautiful definition, it's holding fast, not to ourselves, right? But holding fast to the faithfulness of the one who is faithful, But again, we ask ourselves, what might that look like? What might it look like to walk in faithfulness? What might it look like to express faith? And I think that this is where the what would Jesus do movement movement was really helpful because what they were trying to tell us was that Jesus is the faithful one. And as the faithful one, he serves as an example for us of what it looks like to be faithful to God. You see it as Paul begins to talk about his faithfulness in uh, Philippians chapter 2. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. 
And what Paul is saying to us is that Jesus is the faithful one. And if you want to know what it means to be faithful, you must look to him, the one who wholeheartedly served his God, the one who wholeheartedly was obedient even to the end, even to uh, the cross. That Jesus is the faithful one who, who loved his father as the father had loved him, that Jesus is the faithful one who served the father in the same way that the father had served him, that Jesus is the faithful one who poured himself out in love just as the father pours himself out in love. And so to understand faithfulness, we must look to Jesus. But, and this is important because if we want to understand what it means to be faithful, we need uh, more than words. We need more than words. We, we need a life. Right? We, to understand what it means to be faithful, we need models. We need examples. And I think that this is why later on in the New Testament, you'll see Paul say something like this, follow me as I follow Christ. It's why as you keep reading Paul's letters, at the end of almost all of his letters, he begins to name names. He names names of people who are in the church who have been faithful examples of what it means to follow after Jesus. And so in Romans, he talks about Phoebe, that great deaconess, that great servant of the church. He talks about Prissa and Aquila, those fellow workers in Christ Jesus. He talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus, those who were sent to the church of Ephesus, so that they might see this faithful example for the flock to follow. And what's happening here in the book of Joshua, Joshua is lifting up Caleb before our eyes. And God is saying to us through this book, look at Caleb, the one who has been faithful. The one in which we must follow in faithfulness as we wait for God to fulfill all of his promises. And so what's been going on uh, to this point in the book of Joshua is that the Israelites have now secured most of the promised land. Uh, the battles have been fought. Uh, Sion and Og have been defeated. The walls of Jericho have fallen. I was defeated. The kings in the south and the kings in the north have been defeated. And here we are at the beginning of chapter 14 and you'll notice that the land has been secured, the victory is sure, and now they're beginning to distribute all the land to all the different tribes. And this is a big deal because uh, the victory is won, the promises are being handed out. But as the people of God start laying hold of the promises of God, what we see is that there's still these little battles that remain there are still hills and valleys that need to be secured. And the temptation for the people of God as they entered into the land trying to secure the promised rest that God had given to them was that as they went into their inheritance, when things got tough, they would give up. Or as they entered into the land and they started settling in the land, they would begin settling not to secure the rest that God had promised, but they would begin living in the land, seeking after their own comfort and their own wealth and their own prosperity. And so in this passage, what's happening is that God is lifting up Caleb before our eyes as this example of faith. And he's showing us what a faithful life will look like as we wait to inherit all of the promises of God. And so as we look at Caleb, what we see 
is that faithfulness is a long obedience in the same direction. Right? That, that faithfulness is a long obedience in the same direction. And this is important. It's a long obedience. It's a long obedience. I want you to notice in verse 10. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years, since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. I don't know if you heard it or not, 45 years. 45 years. For 45 years, Caleb waited to receive all that God had promised. And this is very important as we think about faithfulness. Faithfulness cannot be measured in one and two year chunks. Faithfulness cannot be measured by five and 10 year plans. Faithfulness is a long obedience in the same direction all the way to the end. In our men's Bible studies, we're going through the book of Revelation, and we've been looking at the seven churches for these last three weeks. And if you've been in this study, what you'll remember is that over and over again, what is Jesus calling his people to? To patient endurance. To endure patiently to the very end. That we would hold on to Jesus and all of his promises through the suffering and through the disappointments of all of our lives. And this is what we see as Caleb endures. That Caleb is one who gave his life and lived his life in light of God's promises. And then he went out into the world fighting to see those promises realized because he trusted this God who had made the promises. You look at verse 6. Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses sent me to spy out the land. Now, the first thing that I want you to notice here is that Caleb was a Kenizzite. And this is important because the Kenizzites were not Israelites. The Kenizzites were actually uh, one of the nations that was in the land uh, that was said was going to be driven out by God to Abraham. And what we see here is that once again, God is a God who so loves the world that he invites the world to take him at his word and believe his promises. It's what we saw with Rahab. It's what we saw with the Gibeonites. It's what we see in Caleb. That God pours forth his promises and all who lay hold of his promises and believe in him will receive his promises. And so Caleb is this picture of God's great love for the nations, of God's great love for the world. And he's a picture of faithfulness, of one who enters in by trusting the God who makes the promise. And what we see is that he believed that promise at 40. And 45 years later, he's still holding fast to that promise. And what I think is interesting is that this promise that was made to him when he was 40 wasn't realized for another 45 years. And I want you to think about everything that occurred during those 45 years. You might remember the story that 
uh, Caleb is alluding to when he's talking uh, to Joshua. You'll, you'll remember that Caleb and Joshua are these two spies back in Numbers 13 and 14 that were sent into the land with these other spies to spy out the land. And when they went into the promised land that God had said was good, they went into the land and they saw that the land was good. It was a beautiful land. It was this garden that was flowing with milk and honey and it was fruitful and productive and it was so fruitful, so productive that they came back uh, to the people of God carrying clusters of grapes on poles. It was so huge and so delightful that they brought them back. But the problem was that the spies, as they saw the land, they saw that the land was good. The problem was that they also saw that there were giants living in the land. There were the people called the Anakim, who were the descendants of the Nephilim, uh, Nephilim who lived in the land. And these were these scary, giant people. And because they saw these giants in the land, Israel thought that the people are bigger than God's promises. And, and the people are so big that we cannot take the land that God has promised. His promises are too small and the people are too big. And we will never take the land. God's promises will never come to fruition. But Caleb and Joshua, they had laid hold of these promises from God. And, and they stood up as the other spies were making uh, their uh, confession. And they stand up and they say, you're right, the, the land is good. And you're right, the people of the land, they are too big for us. But they are not too big for God. And because God promised to give us the land, the land is ours. And he will give it to us. And when the people of Israel heard this confession, you would hope that maybe like, uh, you know, like in Braveheart, they would all take in their swords and said, let's go, let's get the land. But that's not what happened. Rather than grabbing their swords, they grabbed stones. They picked up stones to stone Caleb and to stone Joshua. And what that means is they picked up stones to throw at them until they were dead. That's what they were doing. As they heard their confession of faith. And because of the people's lack of faith, God then said to that generation, you will never enter the land. The next generation will enter the land. Uh, uh, Joshua and Caleb will enter the land. But you will not. And so for 40 years, Caleb wandered around in the wilderness. Surrounded by a grumbling and complaining faithless generation while he held tightly to the promises of God. And, and here's the point. It's a long way uh, to kind of get it saying that the faithful servant of God trusts God. The faithful servant of God is one who takes God at his word. And because he takes God at his word, he does not demand that God immediately fulfill what he has promised. You see, faith waits in hope for God to do what he has promised to do. And so for 40 years, Caleb wandered around in this wilderness. And as he wandered around in the wilderness, he had the privilege of, of watching and embracing God prove himself to be faithful. And not abandoning his people. 
but continuing to lead them by the pillar and by the cloud and feeding them day after day with the manna. When they were thirsty, water coming from the rock. And he led them for 40 years all the way to the Jordan River and they didn't think they could cross. And he parts the river that they might go through into the land. And you think, ah, the rest has been achieved. But they enter into the land. And so for five years, for five years, Caleb and Joshua then lead the Israelites into battles in order to lay hold of these promises of God. And then here we are in verse 5. And Caleb says to Joshua, all right, give me the land. Give me that promised inheritance so that I might have this rest. And Joshua gives him that inheritance. And I want you to notice now what he inherits, verse 13 through 15. He inherits Hebron. And, uh, uh, and Hebron uh, is this area that was formerly known as Kiriath Arba. And notice the parentheses in verse 15. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Now, it's like, okay, there's a little parenthetical statement. We pass over it, but this is fascinating Caleb was inheriting the great city of the greatest of the Anakim. Who were the Anakim? They were the great giants that everyone was afraid of, that all the spies were afraid of. And what's amazing is that Caleb now enters the land that everyone thought was too difficult for God. And then if you turn over the page to chapter 15, you'll notice that in order for Caleb to inherit the land, he has to keep fighting. It's not over. He has to keep fighting. In chapter 15, verse 14, and Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak, Shishai and uh, Aharman and uh, Ptolemy. And who were they? It says that they were descendants of Anak. Now, this is amazing because what we see here is that Caleb has wandered for 40 years. He's fought for five years, and now he enters into his inheritance, and he has to continue fighting at 85 years of age. And he says, just as when I was young, I fought. Just as I was young, I could do 100 push-ups. I'm 85, and I can still do 100 push-ups. And he goes to battle against the royal line of the giants of the land, and God, in his kindness, is fulfilling his promises, giving him victory. And here's the point. Uh, faithfulness is a long obedience in the same direction. And as you look at Caleb, what you begin to see is that his heart, his mind, and his life was wholly committed to God's promises. And this is exactly the way Caleb's described here in verse 8, 9, and then in verse 14. It says, Caleb wholly followed the Lord, his God. And this is important because uh, uh, following God and receiving his promises are often not easy. Following God and receiving his promises are often not easy. And I think that this is both encouraging and discouraging. It's encouraging because God will always do what he promises. And we can lay hold of that. That the sorrows and the struggles of this world are not the end. But it's also a little bit discouraging. Because for many of us, the life of faith has been difficult. 
And it's a little bit discouraging because it may or may not change. But either way, we really are called to remain faithful. And I think that this is important uh, for us to keep in mind because true faith is a faith that endures. It's a faith that endures. Jesus talked about this in the New Testament. He, he told this parable of the soils in Matthew chapter 13. And you'll remember that he said, Jesus says, many are going to hear my word and they're going to hear my promises and they're going to receive those promises. They're going to receive my word with great joy. But when tribulation or persecution arises, they fall away. And this is a scary warning for many of us because there are some among us uh, who have heard God's promises and heard his word and we've received it with great joy. And we seem to be growing, we seem to be faithful. But when life gets hard and our expectations are not met, there are some of us who will fall away. That's what Jesus said. He's also saying that there are some of us among us who hear the word and, and we receive it with joy, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out God's promises. And what he's saying is that there are some among us who love money and love prosperity and want comfort and security more than we actually want God and his promises. And at some point in our life, we will be given the decision to follow after the deceitfulness of riches or the promises of God. And sadly, some of us will be deceived. And we will go after those things rather than him. But he also says there are many of us who hear and we hear the promises of God and we receive those promises by faith. And when we receive those promises, they, they take root in our hearts. And when they take root in our hearts, they begin to grow and grow and grow. And they produce uh, uh, fruit that grows and is abundant for God and his kingdom. And here's the point of Caleb. Caleb was a man who at 40 received the promises and he never let go of the promises, even when it was hard, even when it was difficult, even when it looked like they might not come to be. Those promises were deep in his heart and they grew and they grew and they grew until he received his inheritance. And I think that this is important for us to keep in mind because there are some among us who are really enduring a difficult life. There are many of us who are really enduring the difficulties of this fallen world. Your children are difficult. Uh, your marriage is difficult. Your job is difficult. Uh, your health is bad. Uh, maybe you've lost your job. And maybe some of you, like Caleb, have felt all alone in your pursuit of Jesus. And you think... If Jesus wasn't in the picture, life would be a lot easier. If I didn't have to follow after Jesus, I could make a lot more money. If I didn't have to follow after Jesus, I could do all the things that I really want to do, and then life would be easier, and I wouldn't have to suffer in these ways. 
And the reality is, is that the entire Old Testament is a picture of this temptation. The people in the Old Testament were constantly giving in to the world and all of its promises and turning away from the promises of God. That's what the Old Testament is about. And God remains faithful. It's also the tension in all of our hearts, if we're honest. We're all tempted, are we not, to turn away from God and to turn away from his promises because we don't feel like they're coming soon enough. We don't like the way uh, they're coming to us. And is it not our temptation to turn away and try to secure all of God's promises without him? Or to secure God's promises in our own way, in our own time? And what Caleb is showing us is that uh, the promises of God uh, can only be received. The promises of God can only be received by faith. It's a long obedience. Uh, But what's the direction of that obedience? I want you to notice uh, the way the passage ends in verse 15. And the land had rest from war. And the land had rest from war. And what I want you to see is that the rest is the direction of our long obedience. If you read the Bible, you'll, you'll probably remember that the promised land was called many things. It was called the promised land. Uh, it was called uh, the, the uh, inheritance. And it was called the promised rest. And the land was supposed to be this place of rest because the land was supposed to be this new Eden. It was supposed to be this new life with God where we would dwell with him and he would bend our lives back to him and we would receive all of his blessings. And as we were blessed by him, we would then live a life reflecting his blessings out to the world. And even the casting out of the nations of the land was meant to be a symbol, a sign of the removal of the curse. Uh, from the land. And what I want you to see is that the land was meant to be this foretaste of the great rest which is to come. That, that great day when the wars will cease and famine will end, when sickness, sorrow, pain, and death are felt and feared no more. And, and this promised rest was actually meant to be the direction of our lives. Right? The, these promises of God are meant to be the ethical foundation for how we live. They're the direction to which we are to give ourselves as Christians. And this is why, as Christians, uh, we have traditionally given ourselves to fighting against things like racism, fighting against things like oppression and injustice, fighting against things like poverty and illness, It's why as Christians, we give ourselves to welcoming the lonely and uh, healing the sick and feeding the poor and restoring the lost and mending that which is broken. Why do we do these things? Not because we think we're special. Not because it's easy. But because this is what God has promised to do. This is what God has promised to do to bring rest into this world. And as his people, we strive to enter into that rest. And and this is why, as God's people, we seek God's presence in prayer and in fellowship and in worship. This is why we like to shed light into the darkness and speak truth to the lies. Why? 
Because these are the things that God has promised to do. And what I want you to see is that faith is reaching out for God's promises and holding on to them until they become reality. It is reaching out and holding on to all of God's promises until they become reality. I think C.S. Lewis said it well in Mere Christianity when he wrote, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire. The great men who built up the Middle Ages. The English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade. All left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying our aim, our attention, our imaginations must be shaped by that which is to come. And I think one of the things that's really important about this quote is something that Lewis doesn't mention, and it's this. The conversion of the Roman Empire and the enlightenment of the Middle Ages and the abolition of the slave trade did not happen overnight. It came over time. And it did not come without suffering it did not come without the suffering of God's people. But it was pursued by God's people in faith, by a long obedience in the same direction as God's people clung to his promised rest, which is to come. And what I want you to see here is that God's promises are the foundation for a faithful life. And they're the foundation because we know that God will do what he has promised. And because we know he will do what he has promised, we can endure the struggles, we can endure the disappointment, we can endure the mockery, and we can strive and we can fight today. Not because we're strong and not even because we think we will win. We can do it today knowing that it's not dependent upon us. And we do it today because God's promises have so filled our imaginations and they have so filled our heart that we could do nothing else. C.S. Lewis talks about this again in Mere Christianity and he says, to have faith in Christ means, of course, trying to do all that he says. There would be no sense in saying you trusted a person if you would not take his advice. Thus, if you have really handed yourself over to him, it must follow that you're trying to obey him, but trying in a new way, a less worried way, not doing these things in order to be saved, but because he has begun to save you already, not hoping to get heaven as a reward for your actions, but inevitably wanting to act in a certain way because the first faint gleam of heaven is already inside you. You see that? That first faint gleam of heaven is already inside of us. And this is the model of faith that is laid before us and lifted up before our eyes as we look at Caleb. And it is a pale reflection of the faithfulness of our God. The faithfulness of Jesus who is spread before us at this table. 
Because as we come to this table, Jesus is wanting to feed us with himself and strengthen us with his faithfulness. He wants to invite us to come to this table and see that he is a God who's been faithful to us time and time again. And his faithfulness is most exemplified in the fact that he would give his body and his blood for us. And as you look at Jesus, do you not see his long obedience in the same direction? That he is the God who created the world and it was good and it was beautiful and he made the world out of the overflow of his love that we might dwell and live with him in it. And when we disobeyed him and when we stained it and we brought uh, sin into this world and it was bent away from him, he didn't give up on it. But he entered into it and he lived among us in love and care to show us what it would look like to return to God and to follow after him. And then he gave himself, his body and his blood for us to forgive us for our sins. He resurrected from the dead to show us what, uh, what our hope is. There's life beyond the grave. And he raised up from the grave, he ascended into heaven, and what is he doing even now? He's sitting at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning over all things for his people, for his glory. And what is that great promise that he then gives to us? That he will return. He will not leave us, he will not abandon us, but he will return. And what will he do? He will make all things right, filling the world with his promised rest. And why would he do this? Because he's faithful. He's faithful to do all that he has promised. And therefore, as his people, we come to this table trusting him, confident that he will do all that he has promised. We come, as it says in Hebrews chapter 12, laying aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, and for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Is this Jesus? The Jesus spread before you in the bread and the wine, his body and his blood. He is the one who is faithful. And he is the one who welcomes all who patiently endure in this long obedience in the same direction.